0: She could have had one of her egyptian maids raise uh moses but instead she she returned him to a hebrew woman i I just all this picture is so so fantastic
1: hello and welcome to evangel bros your weekly podcast about biblical literacy discipleship and historical slash cultural context i'm your co-host george benson I'm your other co-host, Don Sheaver. And welcome back to the first episode of the year for 2019. Yes. It's nice to be It feels it. like forever. It really it does. We were only off
0: for two weeks. Like... I know, but it feels like a long... I mean, the holidays for me just stretch. Like, it feels like a slog. Yeah. I know I'm not supposed to say that as a pastor. I'm supposed to say that I was filled with the joy of the birth of the Messiah. But frankly, I'm tired. <laughs> The spirit was not alive and well in you. It was, it's just, you know, now, now I have a toddler Jesus and I'm not getting <laughs> enough sleep. And Well, I mean,
1: yeah, that chronologically, that makes
0: sense. Right. Pretty soon so. we get to leave him in Jerusalem and then,
1: yeah, yeah th- bad, bad theology jokes. Yeah. Um, no, I'm with you. I mean, I, I feel hung over from the holidays. We did a lot of traveling, um, back and forth and it's just nice to actually get back into a rhythm. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So speaking of getting back into rhythms, we're picking up, uh, almost where we left off with our tour portion series. Um, today we're going to be covering Shemote. Is that how you correct? Just Shemote okay, uh, which is Exodus uh, one one through six one, and uh, just to wrap up, what happened in Genesis? Um, everybody died. That was previously a <laughs> last time we were talking, and and so have several generations after them. Yes, um, so the Israelites still continued to prosper in uh, Egypt. And uh, then a new king came to power, as we as we find out in Exodus one, that uh, didn't really remember Joseph and what uh, what he had saved everybody from, um, and so the Israelites are now slaves in a foreign land uh, to Egypt. That's that's you've covered four hundred years well. I have, I had a great teacher. So um, so done. Let's talk about this. What jumped out for you uh, with this pass- or passage? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a handful of things
0: in this. I mean, this is one of the more significant passages. This is one that many people, even if you're not a participant within the faith, uh, you've heard the story of Moses in the bulrushes or Moses in a basket being picked out of the water. Um, and so there is... Uh, a familiarity. And I think in some ways that familiarity kind of hurts us a little bit when reading this passage because we kind of blow through it, right? Like uh, we want to get to the sections maybe that we're less familiar with, or it's like, yeah, 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 I know this story, I know this story. But there's so many really uh, interesting pieces to this, uh, whether it be uh, that the Hebraic name is Shmot, which means names. Uh, and how that impacts our reading of this to recognize that this book is about names, Uh, whether it be that, uh, you know, Israel goes from being living in the fattest part of the land to becoming slaves. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's just so much uh, that immediately jumps out. One really fascinating piece that I think um, is that uh, in this picture when the, the basket that Moses is in is the same word as the ark for Noah's ark. And it's the only two places that this word is used in the Torah. And I think that that's such a cool and interesting thing is that, um, amongst the chaos and the death and the destruction going on around, uh, around this ark, uh, Bodies, babies being drowned, so people being drowned. There is this ark that is uh, floating through the midst of this that, in some way, offers hope to all of those drowned bodies. So I find that to be really, really fascinating.
1: Yeah. Um, so I want to touch back on that in a second. So uh, basically, what we see is, like Don was saying, um, the Israelites moved from being in the part of the land to now. Being the servants of the Egyptians, and uh, there's a decree that kind of goes out by Pharaoh saying that uh, you know, he says this to uh, the midwives to the Hebrews uh, that uh, if any male is born, uh, you're to kill it. And then, um, but the midwives don't actually follow through with that, and they say that the uh, Israelite women actually give birth to the boys before they're there. And so, then another decree is. Out were there to throw the uh, children, the the males into the Nile, as you were saying. So with the bodies being there and and everything, there's actually a, a book called uh, "Adopted: The Sacred or the Sacrament of Belonging in a Fractured World" by Kelly Nic- Nicodia, uh, And I want to read a part of it because I remember last year I think Dust was teaching on this passage, and I just read this afterwards, and I just thought it was just gut-wrenchingly, um, something that people should hear. Uh, and so this chapter is about rel- relinquishment and, um, the sacrament of giving up, uh, a kid, but so here we go. Relinquishment arrives uninvited, often in the wake of injustice. Biblical narrative offers an early record of the Hebrew women living across the Nile river from Pharaoh's house. They knew this truth all too well because of his harsh edict. Every son born to a Hebrew woman was to be thrown into that river. How many let go of sons by force? Who are those unnamed women wailing under the swollen moon? One name, one story is given to us to help understand uh, the conjures of letting go. And just like this idea of, you know, the, the arc passage, um, like we talked about a couple of months ago now with just those bodies, just being there is not something that you really think about because of the familiarity that's breeded with the um, understanding of this passage. And, you know, every, for some reason, every Easter, they play the 10 commandment film on television, which is just a horrible uh, reenactment of this, but I don't know.
0: Well, I think we even miss in this section that the very first plague is God in some way turning this back on Egypt, right? Like, so Pharaoh filled the Nile with the blood of Israelite males uh, and brings death to them. And so the very first plague in some way, you know, kind of bookends, right? So the first plague, uh, Pharaoh's first response is to kill the firstborn by throwing them in the Nile. Uh, and so Israel or God responds by turning the Nile to blood, which made no life be able to thrive in it, and so everything dies uh, that was meaningful and good for Egypt. And then bookended by the death of the firstborn of Egypt uh, is is kind of a powerful picture for us to look at too.
1: Yeah. So, um, what do you think the authors trying to say about the Ark? um using that word for moses's basket that's carrying him through the nile
0: Uh, i think it you know just kind of harkens back to what i was saying about that it's it's hope right that it's this uh, recreation that we're about to see a new creation again you know i i know we keep harping on that in this podcast but the bible is just filled over and over again with referencing new creation moments and in this moment, again, we see that in the treachery and the chaos of just uh, the most heinous and wicked idea, as we are presented in Genesis with what leads to the leads to Noah's Ark, uh, is what Israel's experiencing right now as being enslaved and watching their their male sons being killed you know like this decree that goes out you would imagine that people are like outing people people are ripping babies from people's hands just to throw them in the water whatever it might be that and the suspicion and the fear that's being created amongst the egyptians about uh the israelites uh just being heightened here and just i can imagine israel just hiding and scared and that in some way the author wants us to see that this arc in the midst of this absolute absolute wickedness and uh you know destruction that uh there's hope about to happen.
1: Yeah, I um <clears throat> yeah, I I love uh good civil disobedience um uh, mm-hmm. especially against an unjust government, right or law, and uh, the the two midwives that are named. <clears throat> uh, I just love. Well, I I, sub, I ascribe to the idea that they're not actually Israelites. Sure, but, we don't know. Yeah, we have no idea. Um, but just the idea that uh, these you know women are saving or trying to save generations of um, of Israelites in this against Pharaoh's order because they fear the God of the Israelites is just stunning. Is that why you don't, you, you don't want them to be Israelite
0: because you'd rather them be Egyptian. So that way they're going against, uh, they're actually seeing the plight of the oppressed people as people in power.
1: Um, no, I just don't think that Pharaoh would trust, uh, Hebrew midwives to do the thing that he's commanding them to do. Hmm.
0: Interesting. I'm just indifferent. I was just curious what what made you say that you didn't uh ascribe to them being Hebrew. So
1: yeah, I mean I've heard uh teachings both ways on this, and I I just like the idea of you know, these badass women who are a part of the establishment because they're Egyptian are going against Pharaoh's order, which is most likely a death sentence.
0: Sure. But I, you know, the reason I, the, another reason I ask is because they can be Israelites because we have an example of an Egyptian woman undermining Pharaoh and it's happening within his own household when oh, Pharaoh's yeah. daughter, uh, I mean, she rescues him and she recognizes immediately that he's a Hebrew and then doesn't just make him Egyptian. She actually sends him off for a Hebrew woman to raise him. And then brings him into the household of Egypt, so she actually maintains his Hebrewness enough that when Moses walks out from his household and sees an Egyptian uh killing an Israelite, he recognizes that the Egyptian is killing one of his people, so it's not even like his identity has been hidden from him in some way. he knows he's Hebrew, living in an Egyptian house, and so uh you know I think it's interesting that. Uh, you know, Pharaoh's own daughter. And this is where, to me, it gets really kind of interesting, especially since our, you know, the church has been built on the back of patriarchal teachings. And so we always want the male to be the hero, but really in this story, you know, we have this picture of um, Pharaoh actually says, kill all the males, but let the daughters live because the daughters aren't a threat to him. He doesn't view the daughters as a threat at all. He doesn't view the women as a threat. What he views as a threat is that the men are going to raise up, are going to grow up, take arms, and defeat Egypt. Like, they're going to fight them. Warriors are going to rise up. And that's how Egypt is going to fall, is at the hands of the males. And then the next section of the text, after he says, let the daughters live, daughters and, and wife and uh, sister are mentioned like a dozen times within the next handful of verses, because it's all the women that subvert Pharaoh, whether it's his own daughter, whether it's uh, Miriam, what it doesn't matter. Like it's all women. So he, he misaligns, he puts his fear in the men. And his fear should have been in the women. He should have, if anything, he should have thrown the women into the water based on this story, not not the men.
1: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that... Um, uh, so I've been waiting to get to Exodus since we started this, uh, <laughs> just because I love um, this story. Uh, and just like, yeah, yes, absolutely, yes. The, Miriam is such a badass and she continues to be throughout uh, the story. i love it when, and this is jumping ahead quite a bit, but when she's singing her, her song as they're passing through, through the water, it's just like, I don't understand how uh, Christians don't go back and read this for what it is instead of trying to ascribe Jesus to it. Because yeah, of course there are, are correlations through it. Um, but it's just such a, I don't know, it's, it's a really good passage.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think the other person that gets missed in this story is Pharaoh's daughter. I think she gets overlooked in a hurry. But one of the things that I think is key is that, you know, the language in the Hebrew of her noticing uh, the basket, uh, then having him raised as a Hebrew and then brought into her household and adopted as her son. We don't have any impression she has any other children. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't know if this is another Baroness story, another story of barrenness, if this is. And so here is someone who becomes a surrogate mother um, and she raises him to know his heritage, know his tradition. So here's a woman of power. I think this is really important for Christians, particularly white evangelicalism, that one of the things that is really beautiful here is, is that someone not in the oppression, someone who has power and privilege in this situation, uh subverts the empire and does it in such a way that maintains the uh integrity of the people who were being oppressed? Moses knows that he's Hebrew um, you know and and this might ruffle feathers with some of our listeners, I don't know because I would say uh you know most of our listeners i would guess are progressive christians um i'm sure we'll or, find out if they're not well i'm going to offend the progressive christians probably right now um is that we in our progressive christians or millennials or younger christians however you want to look at it have become really great about adopting kids Uh, have really done a lot of adoption. I see lots of families that have several children that they've either foster cared or that they have adopted full on. Um, But what we don't do that uh, Pharaoh's daughter did is let them maintain their heritage. Uh, Instead, we white families adopt a black child and raise them in white culture um or adopt uh, an asian child and in some way they that part of them disappears uh they they don't go out of their way to allow a child's uh whether it be their expression of of hair or their expression of language to be affirmed they are appropriated into white culture and what is so beautiful of the example of pharaoh's daughter is that she doesn't seemingly do this um and i think that's such a great example for us i yeah i completely i I completely agree so in this picture though also is that you know we want to make the hero miriam which she is and i agree she's badass in fact all the women mentioned here are badass. the thing another quick point that's an aside that i love Um, and I'm sure George, you've heard me say this before, is that Pharaoh does not get named in this story, Yeah, but the midwives are named. So I love a book that's called Schmote that is uh, called names and the most powerful individual in the story that we meet, we have no idea who he is, but one of the lowest members of culture, a midwife, uh, is named. And so forevermore we will know Pua and we will know the other woman's name which I don't know which is kind of ironic in this statement but we will always remember their names but we have no idea what Pharaoh this is talking about.
1: No, I, yeah. I I I love it. I think you pointed that out last time um I heard you talk about this. But yeah. Yeah, so so what's interesting is that
0: Moses it says when he went out he saw a, a Israel I'm sorry an Egyptian Uh, beating a hebrew and then it says he went out and saw an israelite beating an israelite and then when he's shepherding after he flees uh egypt he saw a burning bush and that word is the same word as the word that's used when pharaoh's daughter saw the basket really yeah, and so it's it's like it's more of an idea of noticing, right? That he noticed these things. And to me, that's that again, like Pharaoh's daughter had way more impact on Moses than what we know because clearly she was someone that noticed the Hebrews. She noticed injustice and not just saw it, but did something about it. And so this becomes the person that Moses becomes. He not only saw what was going on, he did something about it. And, you know, a midrash talks about this idea that God in some way tested Moses with the burning bush to see what kind of person Moses was, if he was someone who noticed things. And I love that, that phrasing, like, are we a people that notice, like, he walked out his front door and noticed injustice. Do we walk out our front door and notice injustice? Um, you know, as whether we be as Moses or as Pharaoh's daughter, right? Pharaoh's daughter bathing with all the people around her, right? It says she was out there with all of her maids, and then she yet she still chooses a Hebrew woman to raise Moses when clearly there was other options. She could have had one of her Egyptian maids raise. Uh, Moses but instead she she returned him to a, a Hebrew woman I, I just all of this picture is so so fantastic
1: yeah it yes it, it really is um, <clears throat> man yeah just that idea of noticing being in action and um, just calls back to uh, and then God remembered Abraham God heard the his people crying because of their slavery yeah. and remember them that actually being an action, but it doesn't get conveyed that well because of the translation.
0: Right. I mean, we, we, when we remember, it doesn't necessarily like it. Remembering in that instances is more like um, I was at the grocery store and remembered I needed milk, right? Because then I buy milk. Yeah. Um, that's more of the idea of remembering in the text, right? That uh, remembering comes with, an immediate response, not just, uh, uh, I remembered how much I appreciated this, right. (laughs) Where it might just be a thought, a thought process. Right. Um, so yeah, so both remembering and noticing almost all the Hebrew things that come with emotion, like even the word for faith implies, uh, participation in some way. Um, and so that's, that's just kind of embedded within the Hebrew language, but I love this idea of noticing. Um, And it seems that he gets it from Pharaoh's daughter, his surrogate mother. I also love that this story covers the gamut, right? That you have a birth mom who's has a forced forced to give up her child. You have a, uh, a woman the sister Miriam who it's not her child but she's concerned about the well-being of someone else's child uh, I rise it's her brother but then you also have a woman who as far as we know has no other children who sees this child in distress and uh, addresses its trauma right uh, and cares for it and makes sure that it's cared for well um, and then also then even though the differences of place in culture and economics welcomes that child into the space. And I just feel like too often on Sunday mornings, we teach to moms or we teach to uh, you know, we tend to just kind of hit one particular uh, s- segment of people like dads or moms. And we elevate those often. We don't really talk about the, the single person. Uh, uh, We don't often talk about the uh, adults, adult couples who are not parents. We don't talk about uh, adult single people who aren't parents, right? We tend to always want to make everything about parenting. Um, And I think that's a little too simplistic on our part when reading the text because the text does a wonderful job of including everyone in the story, such as this one.
1: yeah um yeah no I absolutely I was just thinking how uh the the scene um of uh the pharaoh's daughter actually leaning down and grabbing or sending one of her aides to do it um and getting Moses out of the out of the the river and just like the man <laughs> just so that part of the book that I read uh earlier um just like really nailed it home for me on just the imagery that I'd never thought about with this. Like how many other kids were floating in that river when she found mm-hmm. Moses? Yeah. You know, it just, Oh man. Oh, I, I, if that, I'm sorry, if that doesn't upset you or give you chills or something, then check your pulse. <laughs> like, it's just such a, heartbreaking image that you know through through all of this like you know all of these kids had to die for you know Moses to get recognized by Pharaoh's daughter yeah I think there's a, a there's there's a piece
0: to that that's also you know kind of plays into what you're saying And it's an interesting way that the text portrays uh, what's going on. Um, But all the men mentioned in this passage, so Pharaoh feels threatened by the males that he perceives will grow up to be warriors and so perceives that it will bring about death and destruction of Egypt. So in that fear and that threat decides to kill the male babies um and then you have moses when he's older seeing the oppression and killing the egyptian and then seeing the injustice and the fight between the two israelites begins to intervene as they are being violent and fighting with one another and it's so fascinating to me because each time we have a male presented in this section of the text it's it's partnered with violence Right, uh, so Pharaoh's afraid, so he starts killing because he imagines that those males will grow up and kill, and then you know you have Moses killing, you have people fighting, you have Israelites fighting with each other physically, uh, and then Moses flees for his life, you would imagine right, and so all of this is tied to this violence of the men, and what I think is one of the more profound moments is that there is no fear of the women because the women are all portrayed as compassionate and merciful in this story and that doesn't strike fear in the heart of pharaoh yet it becomes that compassion and mercy that actually becomes the very thing that uh that leads to moses becoming able to come in and rescue israel out of egypt and I think that's such a intriguing moment in the text that goes goes often, goes too silent in the church. I think what's important for us to hear too is that one, this empowers the women in this text yes, uh, in a way that's unexpected, that it's not through violent revolution, though we do know of a tent peg situation where a woman does something quite violent to a man in yeah. the text and it leads to revolution. But- and so I don't think that this is like, I, I think as you know, a friend of mine, Wade cautioned me when we were talking about this is that it's not, we can fall into a danger that men are violent and women are compassionate. Yes. Um, and though that is often what is created as social norms, uh, that it's compassion that uh, undermines empire. Empire is violent, but typically an empire, we elevate those with power, and those tend to be males in our culture. And so I think that there's a a really intriguing thing that we start to see that in this Moses, we have a Moses who is uh, raised in a setting of compassion and mercy. And that is what will eventually bring about the freedom of Israel. Um, And I think that's so intriguing. And Quite honestly, you know, I think that that's why Jesus is the the you know the way we see Jesus the way we read about Jesus is so significant because Jesus it comes from the highest seat of power he too is a prince, right he too is a prince like Moses, and he has given up his seat uh in the in the throne room to come and be amongst the the poor and the marginalized and to then stand up and fight against uh empire through compassion and mercy and justice, uh
1: as a, but not violence. Right. So Yeah. Hey everybody, George here. Uh really quick just to interrupt the episode, wanted to tell you something that we're working on uh here at Avenger Bros, which is our newly launched Patreon account. Uh, what we're trying to do is branch out in a couple ways and, you know, in true Evander Bros fashion, we're still working on a couple of the rewards, um, trying to figure out what would be great for everybody. Uh, but it's up and live right now. So if you feel like supporting us more than what you already do every week by listening and which we're eternally grateful for head on over to patron.com slash Evander Bros. Now back to the episode. So, uh, what? Were there any other parts in the, the text that kind of jumped out to you that you want to go over?
0: Uh, well, what about you? What do you have? I mean, what are,
1: what are you thinking about? What? Um, I mean, I, I love the, uh, I, well, first I love that um, the, the, the mute cute of uh, Moses and Zephora at the well, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something that we saw, uh, in genesis people meeting at the well and um how she calls him an egyptian when Mm -hmm. that happens which makes sense he's on the run probably still wearing the same stuff that he was wearing when he left
0: which is intriguing right because that means he's dressed as a prince but he refers to himself as you know a stranger yeah right but i'm sure she recognized that he was wearing prince. like it was probably pretty obvious that he was wearing uh you know,
1: high-end clothing. Yeah. Um, So that, I mean, I really enjoyed that part of the text, but also just the, the the burning bush thing is always fun. Um, I was listening to a podcast earlier in the week. I can't remember which one it was, but where they talked about how, you know, why was Moses chosen as the leader of the people? And um, one, midrash on it was uh that the bush had been burning since creation and he was the first one to notice it yeah um yep. i think it was you uh, last year who was talking about how many times did moses walk by the bush before he actually noticed what was going on yeah yeah i mean we don't know or and
0: maybe it was just that maybe by the third day he's like that thing should have been done by now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh and finally went over to check Yeah, I think the burning bush thing is so interesting because, you know, there's so many moments in the text in which we have fire that doesn't consume, right? And that's so important. That's an important thread throughout scripture. Uh, And it seems to be that God's fire does not need fuel, right? That... uh, you know God's fire on this bush doesn't consume the bush because it's not it's not in need of fuel. Uh, the fire that descends upon the apostles at uh, you know doesn't need fuel. It's not actually burning their hair. It's not a Michael Jackson
1: Pepsi commercial. Um, <laughs> that's my pop culture reference. All right, there we go. You we're done wow. for the year. Um, no, but you you bring up a really good point. How how it doesn't need anything, and um, I, I love that. Because this is the first time that we get the personal name of of God in this. He mm-hmm. goes from or God shifts from El Shaddai, who was how God revealed God's self to uh Abraham. Um, and now it shifts to Yahweh, the I am who I am, I am what I will be, I am the self-sustaining one. Mm-hmm. Um, all different ways that the name can be translated, and it's in like the third person, so it's I am the one or the one who brings things into being, but just like this, the fact that aren't you uh, getting into the next Torah portion? No, that's in, uh,
0: the, the burning bush, the, the giving of the name and stuff is in, isn't that six, like six, two, I thought like that where that it was says, where it says, like, uh, I've presented myself as El Shaddai to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but this is my name.
1: No, i was just going with the, uh, the three and just previous knowledge but i guess i was getting ahead of myself
0: no it's cool you can still do it because we'll we'll use it as a teaser because we'll talk more about the name next week too
1: yeah but uh just also how moses responds uh in the same way that abraham and abraham does here i am um yeah
0: i think it's interesting uh so speaking of names and god like one of the pieces that I think is overlooked in this section that I think I find to be really interesting is Moses's name. Right. Because it says she called him Moses. Why does it say she called him Moses? Because she picked him out of the river, but we don't know where that comes from. Yeah. Because that's, that's not what it means as far as I know. Um, Oh, What's interesting to me is what is Moses in to Egyptians?
1: A stepchild?
0: No, no, the no. Like, Wait, the name? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm going to tell you, and you're going to go, oh, of course. Let's start with Ramos and Tutmos. Right? All of them are, yeah. are it's God. It's an unnamed God, right? Uh and so you have an unnamed god is the name of Moses. Moses it's like saying Hashem or just God. Moses is like sun god, uh Ramos. Oh, uh, of course. Right? <laughs> like <laughs> and so here is Moses with no it's 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 Elmos, <laughs> right? Like it's it's like l just means god generic so like el shaddai right mm-hmm. l is like moses is that is that free is that like in judaism in hebrew like el shaddai the l part is what basically moses is in egyptian right so you have tutmos ramos uh, i'm trying to think there's got to be more uh i just can't remember them off the top of my head and so you have this hebrew child who is an unnamed God. Uh, And then, and then Moses says to God at the burning bush, what will I tell them your name is? Like, I don't know. And I don't even know completely how to process that or how to like what the impact of that is other than it makes, it stirs something in me that uh, is so fabulous about the text.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know i'm just thinking about like i'm reaching back to uh what i learned about ancient egypt when i was in school and you know the toledo art museum has a wonderful exhibit uh on that and how uh you know people in or royalty were descendants of god like we know this to be a thing throughout history mm-hmm. uh, caesar um and, and so like just the idea that that pharaoh's daughter gives Moses the name of an unnamed God because he is Hebrew and she recognizes it. So it's making room for that in the pantheon of gods in Egypt.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I think about like in Paul when he's in Athens, right? And he says, I saw you're you're clearly a religious people because you even have an altar to the unnamed God. I know the name of that God, right? So like all of that just kind of gets my imagination going uh, and gets my biblical theological juices flowing. Um, But I don't know to what end other than I think it's really interesting and we just don't talk about it, right? Like Moses is a typical name within Egyptian culture. Uh, But I don't think it's a typical name as in like Joe. I think it's like, it's it's specifically
1: leaves out the God. Well, and then, you know, when you partner that with after Moses, I by the way, I love the interaction between Moses and, and God in this because it's very reminiscent of uh the bargaining that happens between Abraham and God. Like, you know, what Oh yeah. It, you know, so like uh but he points out that he's slow of speech and there's this whole, you know, you can run miles on the idea that he may have had a cleft palate or just like he just had an issue speaking and then he responds with well you've got a brother the levite
0: remind me i want to come back to that piece okay because i think there's something really important in there too
1: okay uh and then he says, okay well your brother can speak so he's going to be like you for me and you're going to be like god for him yeah so just yeah that ties together well all right let's go so
0: there is a tradition that says that uh moses had a deformity uh and a, a physical visible deformity that was a disability and i think this is again so you have the exodus narrative being uh the government or the empire is being subverted by women which was unlikely subverted by compassion and mercy, uh, as opposed to violence. And then you have the person who is sent as the savior, is someone who has a disability that would normally disqualify them from actually being like we would imagine it would disqualify them from being the spokesperson, right? So you're so God is asking someone who has a uh, a disability that uh, hinders clarity of speech and God says I want you to go and talk and and Moses like I can't and God's like I didn't mess up by asking you I I know who you are I created you and you're the right person and I also love that when Moses still pushes back and says but I really can't that that God creates accessibility by saying then I will provide you, Aaron. Uh, and I owe a huge thanks to uh, someone I'm discipling. Her name is Sarah, and she works within the disability community to talk about that that idea that that God uh, gives uh, concession. God, not concession, but uh, oh, what's the word I wanted? Accessibility isn't quite the right word either. But that God provides like kind of someone who like someone who has a hearing disability, um, or hearing impairment, you know, having someone who does, uh, ASL right there so they can participate that God's like, I still, it's still you, Moses, that I want to go to speak to Pharaoh. Um, but I will make a way if you're not confident to do that on your own, I will provide a mouthpiece for you. And so I will send Aaron with you. I love this picture. This to me just blows up so much of our perspective of things in that you have to be this ideal person. You have to look a certain way. You have to be able to uh, speak in a certain uh, manner. You have to present yourself in this way. And God, God is not concerned about that. That God, God's like, Moses, I didn't mess up. You are the person. That I believe will lead my people out, you are unique, you are the one I've called. I'm already aware of the disability that you have, yeah um, and I believe that you can still do it, but if you don't believe you can do it, I will provide Aaron to go with you I, man yeah, what, I mean an important
1: piece no i I love that it was oh man it was uh I was reading it this morning, and I was just thinking like how it's do you remember the part in Job when God shows up in the whirlwind and he's kind of like bringing Job to task a little bit about like, Mm who, who are you? Where were you when I created the earth and stuck it on its axis? Yeah. And I was just like, Oh man, this is just such a, a beautiful, um, uh, non shaming part like that. Like it just, for the first time I, I really just connected those two and it was just like, you know, In I, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Job at some point in time. So I don't want to give any spoilers away. Everybody dies but him. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I just love that. Just this idea of, of God. Anytime God shows up in the text and starts just rapping like that, I absolutely love it well and this is where
0: for me i get the text excites me right is that so we've gone through genesis now and we're at the beginning of exodus and i hope with the the anybody that's you know followed along with this conversation if you haven't listened to all of them, i'd encourage you go back and listen to them but it god is not calling the white straight male to lead the way to the salvation of the world. God is constantly choosing who our current culture considers to be less than second-class citizens, uh, non-worthy individuals. God is constantly saying you are the one that's worthy, not the people in power, but the people who are subjugated to power, the people who are oppressed, the people who are not considered to be fully uh, equal. Um, and that I think that's the power of the gospel, right? The power of the gospel is is that uh, the the marginalized are blessed, and they will be first in the kingdom. Uh, you won't be second class citizens in the kingdom. There's equity and equality and uh, honor in the kingdom. To me, that's powerful. Yeah. And the text is just filled with it. And I think what's unfortunate is we've had too many misogynists and too many males in power that have interpreted and exegeted the scripture through their lens without any consideration of the original audience and therefore turned it into a book of power to dominate further uh, those around us as opposed to uh, relinquishing and recognizing that The empire and the systems that we participate in and build up in order to keep and maintain our place as the answer person in the front of the room. uh, That the Bible is actually uh, saying, no, uh, your role is not that. Your role is one of way lesser importance than that. I think that's pretty good news.
1: I do not disagree with you. I think that that's a great place to wrap up for the week. Excellent. Let's All do right. it. Well, uh, so, you know, if you haven't yet already, please uh, check out our, our uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Avenger Bros on there. And uh, if you have a moment, please step by wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a rate and review. Um, honesty is great. And five stars help even more. Honesty is great as long as you like us. If you don't
0: like us, then honestly don't rate us.
1: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I've been your co-host, George. I've been your other co-host, Don. Have a great week, everyone. See ya.